Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co of this church and community and a part of the preaching team. And I've just been so uh, blessed. Last week's message from Pastor Shane talking about gospel people and reminding ourselves to lead with compassion, to look with compassion, to out-compassion people. I hope you are looking for ways to demonstrate being a gospel person this week. I know God was definitely reminding me throughout the week. It's easy to forget like by like Monday, Tuesday afternoon, right? It's like in your heart Monday morning, I think, you know, a little bit still, and then it starts to dim. You have to like refresh yourself and remind yourself what it means to be a gospel person. And um, we've been talking about noticing people, seeing people. How, has anyone noticed like that God's been kind of like reminding you of that a little bit in the last couple of weeks? Pastor Chris has been leading us in this um, series of really remembering to stop and notice people. It's tough in this culture to just stop or slow down, right? We got busy lives. Some of you have a full-time job called raising children. That in of itself, it's like you can't slow down to save your life, you know? But even that, the Holy Spirit, I think, can use you in your busy season to see people. And so we're gonna continue on that a little bit today. We're gonna talk a little bit different. Um, We're gonna kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, something that um, Pastor Chris talked to me about this week. And I was like, no, that sounds really good. You should preach it. And he's like, no, you will. And I was like, okay. Um, But we have to see people and we need to be people that are available for God to use and for us to be able to see people. But before we can see people and really notice and truly do what God's called us to do, we have to be whole and we have to be healthy. And one of the things in our culture today is I think there's still stuff that weighs us down and we're so weighed down, it's hard to see through the clouds. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're like, I want to see people, but all I see is five children in my face or if you're a pastor, seven of them. But come on, God wants us to be uh, free and whole and healthy so that we can do what God's called us to do. So in Genesis chapter three, we have this awesome, I love the book of Genesis. If you, if you, if you need a book to read and book to study, study Genesis. It really is. All of, the, all of the New Testament theology is in the book of Genesis, that's what scholars tell us. So what you find in in the, in the New Testament, you find first in Genesis, it's sneaky and it's tricky, but it's there. And it, it just shows you that God is already on the move and had his plan all the way back in Genesis. And so we see this interesting text where we know the story, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, they disobeyed God and then they find themselves in a position of hiding. Their first response to their sin and their disobedience was what? they noticed that they were now naked and they were ashamed. So they hide. Then the next part, and I heard the giggles as we were reading the scripture, and that's my favorite part, is then Adam immediately blames Eve. I heard the giggles. Some of you are like, oh, you know, you've heard the jokes. But then Eve then blames the serpent. So what is this human condition that we see? It's the same thing we do today that we did way back in the garden, which is when we feel shame, when we feel brokenness, when we feel guilty, when we've done something, when we've disobeyed God, guess what we do? We hide and we accuse or we blame. These are the two things. This is the human, none of you in this room can say, I've never done that. Like, oh, really? Lightning strikes, you know? (laughs) We've all done it. And it's not a new story. It's just the story that we have carried on from the beginning uh, of, 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 this, of this world story, of the history of our, of our um, text, is that we have become professional hiders. Is that a word? I don't know. But we are professional at hiding things that we don't want to be exposed or we don't want to be vulnerable, and so we're going to hide it. Well, come on. Have you ever been super embarrassed? Yeah? Thank you. Thank you so much for Wendy, who is the only person in here. You and me, we're the only ones. You've ever had the most embarrassing moment. What is your first thing you want to do? You want to run away and hide, right? Several years ago, I um, was at a wedding with my cousin, 
And um, I was not married and I was not a parent. So I was, um, I've learned a lot since then, you know? There was this little ring bearer that I was judging real, like intensely because he was not behaving at the front of this wedding. You know, he's like knocking things over. He's crawling, rolling, you know, he's knocking flowers down. And I'm like, come on, someone get a hold of this kid, you know? pre-parenthood, you know? I was like, it's easy to judge when you don't have one. So I'm like, come on, get control of this kid. And so I'm sitting there the whole wedding, super distracted by this kid and just thinking, geez, I would never let my kid do that, you know? And um, God has such a great sense of humor. So I, uh, my cousin and I had to leave a little bit early. So we left right, you know, right at the end of the service, we had to like kind of dip out. So we went out the side door and then my cousin had got stopped in the lobby and someone was talking to her. So I'm just kind of waiting and like, okay, you know, we had to, we were supposed to, I think we were trying to get to church or something. So we had to rush out. So my cousin finishes talking. I turn around, we're like, okay, I'm like, bye, see you. And I turn around and out of nowhere darts this little, this little being that trips me and I roll down these stairs. And I get up and I get up and I turn and there's that little nugget who had been judging. He just ran around and he had tripped me and I see the whole wedding party had come out right at that moment and they're looking at me and I'm like, oh dear God, I just want to run away and hide. And he, I mean, I get out, I'm walking to the car. My cousin is laughing hysterically. I'm humiliated. I'm literally have just shown things I shouldn't have shown to this whole wedding party. And I'm so embarrassed. And I immediately was like, that little kid, it's all his fault. I did the very thing I think we all do when we feel any sort of embarrassment, shame. If we've, if we've failed in an area, what do we do? We hide and we blame. And so we find ourselves similar, I think, to Adam and Eve in our stories. I think many of us carry brokenness and shame and guilt and pain from things, whether we've caused them or they've been, we've been a victim of something. Guess what we do? We hide and we choose to hide and we choose to blame instead of choosing to bring our brokenness to Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't want us to live in a hidden place. He doesn't want us to stay hiding. He doesn't want us to live in a broken place. He wants us to be whole. But in order to do it, we have to bring our brokenness to Jesus. See, but it's easier, isn't it? Like, have you ever had those moments where you're like, oh gosh, when that thought comes up, when you remember something, you're like, oh God. Like, it's like it, you, you cringe a little bit, you know? Or you're just like, oh, forget it, forget it. Kirsten and I do that. Whenever we, we don't want to think about it, we're like, no. You just don't want to think about it. You don't want to go there. And we think that is, is healthy. We think that's what's going to get us through. Or we think if we can just suppress it, forget about it, not think about it, then somehow we're still evolving and growing in the way that Jesus has for us. Sure, to a point. But ultimately what Jesus wants for us is wholeness. And in order to be whole, we have to be healed. And Jesus can't heal what we conceal. He can't heal the things we hide. He wants to desperately. But what does he do in the garden? They go, they, immediately they're, they're, they're hiding and they, and they know that they've done something wrong. And Jesus says, or, or God says in the garden, who told you you were naked? All of a sudden they're exposed, they're vulnerable, they know they've done something wrong, but it wasn't Jesus that told them they had done something wrong. It wasn't Jesus that had told them they were naked. It wasn't, it wasn't God in the garden saying, you messed up, you ridiculous one. What does God come and do? He then come and covers them. God covers them. He exiles them because of their sin. They do find themselves pushed out of, of this paradise garden that God had created for them. But what does God do? God wants to cover you, but you have to bring your brokenness to Jesus. We cannot hide these things anymore, but we have become, I think, professional hiders. We are experts at hiding. And I think we, we, we do it so well that I think we've convinced ourselves we're not even hiding. Like we don't, or we convince ourselves, I really don't have, and I don't really have anything that I need to offer Jesus. We all have something to offer Jesus. If you think you're at some point in your journey with Jesus that you're like, I'm, I've given it up, I've given it all. I'm like, I'm not sure you're human. Because I'm pretty sure this week alone, I have something to offer Jesus. <laughs> like, I, I, I think it's easy for us and it's become easier for us to hide and we have all the tactics in this world to hide, right? We have, you know, we, we hide in our homes or we hide and we don't wanna go home. 
You got, you got one or two, and they probably marry each other. One wants to stay home, one never wants to be home. <laughs> you know, we hide in our offices, or we hide by procrastinating, or maybe we hide by being doers, achievers, get everything done, I gotta do this. Some of us hide behind social media. Those people bless me entertainment-wise, not personally. But when I can read what people are so confident in saying over like social media, but like you see them in person and they won't even breathe a word of it, I'm like, interesting. It's like your phone is a weapon or something, or it's a shield that protects you, and then you don't have it, and you're like silent, right? We hide behind all sorts of things. I think, and not of all, they're not bad. I mean, Netflix is not bad in and of itself until you hide behind it, right? Like, work is not bad until you hide behind it. Your home should be a refuge. It's not bad unless you hide behind it. There are things that God has given us that aren't bad, but we tend to use them as ways to hide from the brokenness that we feel or the world that's, that, that's around us or maybe even the community that God's placed us in. We only give so much of ourselves to it and then we, the rest of it, we just still hide. And God wants us to come out of our hiding. See, people, I think, hide by being busy, and some people hide by doing nothing. I think those people marry each other, too. <laughs> and then I think, I, I think we, have, we hide behind being an introvert. Have you, you know, some people, I've heard this a lot. People say, well, I'm just an introvert, so I don't feel comfortable going to things like that. I'm like, well, I'm an extrovert, sort of. And I have to be careful that I don't use that to be like, well, I'm an extrovert. I just say what I feel, you know? And they're just overly sensitive. No, come on, we can't hide behind these things. And I totally offended the 9 a.m. service, so I'm gonna have to totally offend you. But I think, this is the one that gets me, is I, I think we even have to be careful with the things that this world offers us, right? So, like, everybody's into, like, Enneagrams. God bless you that love them. You listen to the podcasts. You've read books. You highlight things. You've taught you, like, it's your profile. Like, your Instagram's, like, your name. You might be married. You might have kids. But that doesn't, that's not as important as you're a wing five, 12,000 or something. I don't even know. But you live by your Enneagram. And that's great. I mean, it's good to know our personality. But you can't hide behind it and go, well, that's why I don't like that person. Because they're a five wing seven and I'm a two like wing 29. And we can't get along. Well, guess what? You're probably going to raise one of those that you don't get along with. So that's jokes on you. Enneagram failed you. Because you're probably going to birth one of those that is like completely contrary to your personality. It's not a bad thing. It's just, if we listen to that more than we listen to Jesus, or if we let that identify, or we identify with that more than we identify with the words of Jesus, we've now let something in this world dictate us more than the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus. So I think we gotta be careful with that kind of stuff because I think what we've done is we've just hidden behind it. And now we use it as a weapon to go, I just, I can't do that, or that person triggers me. When actually God might be like, yeah, they probably do. Iron sharpens iron. I wrote that in the Bible. And I have a lot of people in this world that will trigger you for the rest of your life. And I'm not saying that we put ourselves in situations where we're just constantly like, you know, around people that cause friction, but, but maybe God puts them in our lives to do something in us, to grow something in us, or maybe to ask us or call us to bring something to him. Maybe it shows us the brokenness. When you get married, it's like you get a mirror. And all of a sudden, you are not as perfect as you once thought you were. All your flaws become, have you ever seen like those magnifying mirrors? Dear God, those things are so scary. You feel good until you see one of those. Hotels that have those, airport bathrooms or airplane bathrooms are the worst. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry to the plane, you know? That's what marriage is like, you know? It's like all of a sudden you're like, bam. You're like, oh, okay, we have a few things to work on. Then you become a parent and you're like, oh dear God. Why, have you, why did you even choose me to do this? Like we really realize how many flaws we actually have. Why does God allow that? Because God wants you to be whole. God doesn't want you to stay broken. God's not like in this plan that's like, hey, I'm just gonna create this good, good earth and then it's just gonna be broken by humanity. It's just gonna stay broken. And then one day I'm gonna come and I'm gonna unbreak it. And God's like, no, what he wants to do on earth right now is for you to become the fully flourishing human that Jesus died on the cross for 
so that you don't have brokenness in your life, but that you can be, um, you can be an ambassador to a broken world. You can bring the love of Jesus and you can bring hope and you can bring life. Why? Because God brought it to you. And so I think this is, this is an important topic and I think it's something we gotta talk more about in the church is that we have some stuff. Can you imagine if Jesus made the disciples do an Enneagram test before he called them? None of them would have made it. He knew they were misfits. He knew they were 12 messed up boys. He knew they were gonna have issues. He knew Judas was gonna betray him. He knew Peter was gonna deny him three times. He knew all that stuff about him and he still calls them despite their brokenness, despite their weaknesses, but despite their personality clashes and, and difficulties, Jesus calls us out of our brokenness so that we can be who God has called us to be. And God is calling you out of your brokenness and your hiding so you can be who God has called you to be. But we have to bring our brokenness to Jesus. You can't hide. You can't hide it anymore. See, our world demands us at this point to bring everything to Jesus. Henry Nouwen says this, and I think it's beautiful. He gives us a picture of how much we strive because of shame and self-rejection. He says this, the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but it's self-rejection or shame. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is shame. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I'm rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. Or my dark side says, I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. But see, shame is the greatest enemy, Henry Nouwen says, he goes on to say, of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. The most important thing about you is that you realize today that you are his beloved. You're his beloved. You're not that shame. You're not your brokenness. You're not that thing that, that you've carried and has weighed you down. You are in fact his beloved. But see, shame, according to Henry Nouwen, and I love this, shame will drive you into other things. To be overly productive, it'll drive you to, to go for success and to achieve things. I've noticed this in all my years of ministry. Many times people are driven when they are overwhelmed by shame or pain of their past and brokenness. They're driven to an excessive need for affirmation that's never satisfied. Why? because we don't recognize first and foremost that we're just his beloved. And when we're in that space, we can be confident that we can bring all of the things that we have spent a lot of time, money and energy hiding. And instead we can bring it to Jesus and we go, hey, I know it's messed up. It's junky, it's gross, it's bad, but I'm gonna give it to you. God's not surprised by it. God's not like the moment you finally give it to him, he's not like, oh, wow. I didn't realize that one though. It's like, no, God's not surprised by it. He knows you're gonna do it. This blows my mind. He knows you're gonna do it before you did it. Or he knew it happened. Like God's not sitting there going, oh man, this one gets me. I don't know how to work this one out. God's not surprised by it. He still calls us his beloved. See, Jesus notices you and Jesus looks and sees you and he desires that you offer him all the things that you've spent so much time, and I feel this for this service, some of you have spent money and time and energy trying to hide something that Jesus has been so, he's been working so much to get you to just offer it to him. He's the one that can heal our brokenness. I love the picture of this in Luke chapter eight. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Probably one of my favorite texts in all of, of the Bible, if not um, probably at least the Synoptic Gospels. It's my favorite story. Is here we have this woman with an issue of blood. You know the story. 
she's had this, this, this blood disorder for 12 years. Can you imagine being in a situation where you have been suffering for so long, but in our culture, it's very different because in her situation, according to Leviticus 15, because she had this blood disorder, she was completely ostracized from community. She was ceremonially unclean according to the Jewish law, so she could have no contact. Can you imagine, she hadn't been hugged in over 12 years. Nobody was giving her fist bumps, high fives, or even like getting near her. Can you imagine if she walked outside and someone saw her, and if she did walk outside, she had to shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And can you imagine just people walking across this on the other side of the street, like, get away from me. Imagine that shame. That's what she lived with every single day. If, if she even could get the energy or the motivation to go outside, to go to the market, to get anything, she knew what she was gonna walk into. She was gonna walk in shame. And that was her day. But then there's this great portion of scripture, Luke chapter eight. I'm gonna start, I think in verse 42-ish. And Jesus went to the people, sorry, I skipped down. And Jesus went, the people pressed around him, he's in a crowd. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all, when all denied, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on every side. Remember, come on, these are the misfit disciples. Peter's like trying to give him the answer. Peter, just relax. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know for I perceived the power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. She told them her disorder and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Jesus said to her, looked at her, noticed her, saw her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. This scripture is amazing. She was this woman who had no connection to the outside world. This just in and of itself, she was almost put herself in hiding, right? Or was forced into hiding. Several years ago, I went on a, a ministry trip, a missions trip to India. I think I was 19 when um, we went to Southern India. And um, I don't think they told us what we were gonna do. You know, it's like you go on a missions trip and we went to widows homes. Um, we went to orphanages. We, we did church services. Talk about church. You wanna know what a church was like? Every single service, they would have a line. We have a prayer corner. They had an exorcism corner. So like people, and they had lines of people and they just cast out demons like that. I was like, okay, maybe we should reinstate that here in the United States. I don't know, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> Jay, you can be in charge. Um, so uh, it was crazy, like the, what was happening, but all these things were so impacting. But I remember one morning they said, okay, well meet downstairs and we're gonna head to a leper colony today. And I was like, lepers? I don't, is that a thing? Like here I was like born and raised in the United States. I didn't even think, I mean, all I knew of leprosy was from the Bible. I didn't think it was still a thing. So here they still had people in India with the effects of leprosy and they were forced to live in their own colony. They lived far outside the city. Um, if you know anything about India, there is a, a caste system and the lepers would be in the bottom of the caste system. So they couldn't go into the city still to this day. They have no connection with other people unless they're lepers within their colony. So we go to this leper colony and I didn't know what to expect, you know? So we walk in there and you know, we're on a missions trip. So I'm there to minister to the lepers, right? This is, this is the call that God has given me. I'm gonna go in to this leper seat are this leper colony. We're gonna, we're gonna minister to the people that have, have been impacted by leprosy. So we walk in there and it's this group of, it's actually a, a full women's team. We were all women in this missions trip and we walk in and I had never seen in my life to this day, happier, more fulfilled, people who love Jesus than the people that were in this service. I mean, they were missing body parts. There were facial uh, distortion and face, facial uh, parts were gone, parts of their hands and arms, feet, everything. I have never seen people worship more. This whole missions trip, this team, is going there to minister to them. We're sobbing. We're sitting there sobbing as we're supposed to be like leading them in worship and preaching and doing all these. They ministered to us. Because all I could imagine was these people 
can't even leave this village because the people on the outside world, they won't have anything to do with them. And it reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood. She lived in a sense of complete isolation and she had to hide from the outside world. And she lived in this state because if she walked outside, man, can you imagine how people would treat her? But she heard of this man, Jesus, and she heard he was coming to town. And the faith, whatever she had left, because the Bible said she used all her money on physicians and no one could heal her. And somehow she still had a little bit of faith to believe this man, Jesus, she'd heard about could be, maybe could be the one that could heal her. So she fights through the crowd. Now remember, I don't know if she's shouting unclean as she's going. It sounds like the crowd is quite large, so maybe they can't hear her. But if she was gonna leave and get near other people, she's supposed to be screaming, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. The Bible tells us, read Luke 8. It's a, it's a big crowd and they're pressed against each other, which I think that's interesting that Dr. Luke makes sure we know that. They're pressed against each other. Why is that a big deal? Because if she touched them, they'd become ceremonially unclean and they'd have to go to the temple and they'd have to go through the ritual to become clean. So it was a big deal that it was a big crowd. And she was willing to get outside. But this is what's interesting. The Bible says this, that she comes behind Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment. Scholars tell us this, that she stole her healing. She didn't go face to face with Jesus. She, She knew she didn't want to get Jesus unclean. She, didn't, she was probably cognizant of the people around. I'm sure she was. So she thought, I know, I just, if I can just get close to him, and I don't even need him to lay his hand on me. And, and come on, oh my gosh, we're not happy unless the set list, worship list is exactly how we want. The preacher preaches in just the right amount of time. They give the altar call that I want. And that, you know, they say this phrase, we'll be like, Lord, if you tell the preacher to say this exactly, then I'll believe, you know? This is our faith. Hers is like, if I can just get close and even, he didn't even have to see me, I'll just get behind and I'll touch his garment. And the Bible says she was immediately healed. But this is how good Jesus is. He doesn't just let her steal healing. He goes, who touched me? Calls her out of hiding. Who touched me? Because I know and you know that we would just go right back into hiding if we could. Jesus knows if this woman isn't restored to community, she's gonna go right back into her prison of shame. So he's gonna call her out. We think, man, Jesus, come on, that seems harsh. Sometimes we think, preacher, preacher, you're harsh, man. You make us do stuff. No, we're not, most of the time. (laughs) We believe so much of what Jesus says is, we've been talking about this. Jesus notices her. And he goes, who touched me? And the Bible says this, when she realized she couldn't be hidden, she had to in front of the whole crowd. I don't know, it'd be like standing up right here. It'd be like, okay, one after another, open mic night. You come up, okay, tell it. Tell everyone your shame. Tell everyone you're broken. Can you imagine that? Jesus calls her out and says, who touched me? And when she realized she could not be hidden, she then tells the crowd what her disorder was and that she was immediately healed. Why does Jesus do that? because Jesus knows that you cannot be free from something you hide. He calls her out of her hiding, has her share with the crowd the very thing. He notices her in her pain and her brokenness and all the things that she has been probably carrying for 12 plus years. And in one moment, he restores her back to community. She no longer is isolated. She doesn't have to walk around going unclean. You know what she's known as? She's the girl that's healed. She's walking around. I mean, she's high-fiving people. She's like, market, when's temple? Let's go. Why? Because Jesus restored her back. And this is how he does it. And this is what I love. And it's back to Henry Nouwen's quote. How does Jesus restore her and show she's restored to the entire crowd? He says, who touched me? She has to admit it because she can no longer be hidden. And how does he respond? He says, daughter. My beloved daughter, your faith has made you or has healed you. Go in peace. By calling her daughter, think about this. The synoptic gospels that tell this story only ever give her this phrase, the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name. Jesus doesn't call her by that. He now calls her a daughter. That is more intimate in the Jewish world than calling you by your name. He says, daughter. She's now restored back 
into community and family. And she's a part of what God's doing. She's no longer on the outside. She's on the inside. She no longer has to hide. She is now free. Free. This is what God's called us to. We've become professional hiders. And we hide from the pain in this world. We hide from the pain of our past or the shame or the brokenness. Come on, if you would be lying in this room if you were saying, I don't got much brokenness. Really? You're good? Because I'm pretty sure we all still carry layers that we got to keep offering to Jesus. It might not be excessive. Some of you are like, well, I don't think I've done anything super bad or maybe nothing super bad has happened, but... Are there things you're still holding on to? Are there still idols in your life? Are there still things that you elevate above Jesus? Then offer it. That's brokenness. We need to offer our lives to Jesus. I've been reading this book about, you know, trying to raise kids because dear Lord, now I have one. And it's like, how do you raise them? You know, how can I get them to eat anything other than blueberries? That's the struggle right now. If you're a parent, you know that diaper is scary if all they eat is blueberries. Googling, you know? And then I was like, oh, okay, it's blueberries. Okay, we're good, we're good. But I've been reading like, you know, how do we raise a healthy kid and thriving kid and young person who loves Jesus, obviously, first and foremost, and all this stuff. And I read this interesting line from this author that said, we've become okay as parents of just being like, well, look, I, I made it. I, I, I turned out okay. Have you heard that phrase? Like, you know, you ate Skittles all your life and now we realize that's not so good. And now you're like, but I turned out okay. That's kind of become the phrase I think we've adopted, even as Christians is like, I know there's some, but I turned out okay. Instead of wanting more than okay. What if we as people of God, as gospel people, as Pastor Shane so eloquently preached last week, what if we as gospel people desired more than just okay? What if we desired to flourish, to thrive, to be exactly who God's called us to be? What if that was our goal? Was that not, we wouldn't just be ones who, I made it, like I made it, you know, I did pretty good. What if our goal is to be exactly who God's called us to be, which is whole and healthy and able to do all that God has called us to do. See, God doesn't want you to stay broken. He doesn't want you to stay hiding. God wants you to thrive. He wants you to do all that he's called you to do. But I've got to tell you, I gotta be the bearer of bad news. You can't do that broken. We can't be who God's called as a church, as a community, as a people of God. We can't do it broken. Are there parts? Of course, we're all broken and we're doing things for God, but to the fullness, no. Why do you think our world is the way our world is? Is because the people of God have not fully surrendered our brokenness to Jesus and we have not shown Jesus the way we should. God is calling us to be more than those who hide. He wants us to be like the woman with the issue of blood who is so desperate to be whole. If it means I steal my healing, (laughs) Jesus won't let us. But even if I'll do anything to get close to Jesus, to offer him whatever brokenness, whatever shame, whatever's holding me back, whatever's weighing me down, I'm gonna offer it to Jesus. Can you imagine what your life would look like, feel like, and what it would accomplish if you offered him your brokenness? Just think about it. It's a pretty beautiful thought actually. I think about that leper colony. I've never seen people love Jesus more than that in my whole life, never. I've had the privilege of going to some of the greatest churches, what we consider some of the greatest churches in the world. I've been to third world countries and seen amazing things, but I have yet to see people who love Jesus as much as that group of people. And they worshiped like I'd never seen worship before. Why? because they offered their brokenness. And they trusted God with it. And you know what they did? This is what the coolest thing about this leper colony. They, they made candles and they had like, um, they, they made vases and they did all these different things. And so we, when we were there, we bought gifts. I bought gifts for my family. 
And I bought candles and I bought these little like vases that they had made and they were beautiful and it was amazing and it was so impacting because it would always remind me. When I got home, it took me six months to give my family their gifts. My mom, and I told my mom, kept going, when are you going to I'll give it to you. And she's like, do you want to talk about it? I'll give it to you, mom. It took me six months to process what better Christians they were. It took me six months to realize that you could be that broken and you can be that whole. It took me six months to tell the story to people. Why? Because here we are living in a blessed world. We are so blessed. And we still hide behind our brokenness and our shame and our things and we become so good at it that we don't realize what we're missing we're missing real, true communion with Jesus. Look at this. She wouldn't have gotten to know Jesus if she wouldn't have gone, touched his hem. And then Jesus turns around, he notices her, he sees her. Now she has communion with Jesus. With Jesus. I don't know about you, but this world pales in comparison to what Jesus can offer me. Amen. Nothing can do for me what the blood of Jesus can do. And when you allow yourself to become vulnerable, and man, is that hard in our culture today. But when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and you offer the broken pieces of your life, Dr. Frank says this, Frank Damasio, who we love, he talks about his story and he has a bracelet that represents this. He had gone through cancer and treatments and he had asked his doctor like, what am I gonna do now? Am I gonna live the kind of life I wanna live? And his doctor looked at him and said, take all the broken pieces of your life and you're gonna make something beautiful. And that's been his message. And this is your message. Take the broken pieces. There's broken stories in here. I know we, we all represent brokenness in some form or another or, or some disappointment or we feel like we've failed. But guess what? God takes it he blesses it. He heals it. Yes. Yes. Amen. Why do you think we take communion, y'all? <laughs> it's to remember that his broken body yeah. is enough for us yes. and that his blood washes us. And then we offer it to Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He takes our life and he uses it. Henry Nouwen also wrote another book. It was one of the first books I read when I went into ministry. It's called Wounded Healer. Well, clearly I knew what I was getting into, huh? But it's such a beautiful story Henry Nouwen talks about. Um, we're all broken, right? He says this in his book, Wounded Healer. He says, nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our roundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. When we allow God to take the broken pieces of our life and our shame, maybe we were abandoned. Maybe we've been hiding from things or we've blamed others or we've accused others of the brokenness in our life. The moment we offer that back to Jesus and we let him heal it, guess what we become to the world? Wounded healers. I would much rather be someone who has a story like Jacob and I lead with a limp for the rest of my life, but I lead and I point people to Jesus. Yes. Jacob's story in Genesis would be nothing if he wouldn't have allowed God to use him. See, church, if we're gonna be gospel people to a broken world, we can't stay broken. We can't. We're gonna to have to talk about this a lot because some of you are still like, I'm pretty good being broken. We have to bring it. Is it, is it a one-time thing? No, I don't think it's a one-off event. I think it's a continual experience that we offer Jesus. Go, well, today this is the brokenness, so I'm gonna give it to you. And then tomorrow it might be something else. Like I said, remember what it's like when you get married? It's like a mirror. And then you spend the rest of your marriage going, oops, okay, I need to grow in that. Not he needs to be better but I need to grow in this. 
This is what we do with our relationship to Jesus. We need to offer Him our whole selves and become the flourishing humans God has designed for us to be. He went to the cross. Isaiah says this, to, He bore our shame. That's one of the reasons He went to the cross. So that He could carry it and you could move forward and that you could demonstrate to a broken world what a good God we serve and that yes, there's brokenness and yes, there's pain and yes, there's discouragement, but guess what? There's a good God. Come on, church. Can you imagine if that's what we do? If we notice people, if we see people, if we're gospel people that lead with compassion and we have to first, before we do that, we have to offer our brokenness to him so that we can see other people's brokenness. Have you ever had God heal you from something and the band can come up? They could have come up five minutes ago because it says it was supposed to be five minutes ago. So it's on you if you think we are going too long. It's on you, band. I'm blaming and hiding. <laughs> Just kidding, it's my fault. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to me that we, we find ourselves so easily walking in our shame and we hide so much easier than it is to simply become vulnerable and offer to Jesus the broken places. First service, I felt it. It was, it was many, many people want to, but it's comfortable. Have you ever been healed from something in your life and then now you can notice the other people and you can help them? That's called a wounded healer. I, I've gone through things in my life and now I have a grace, I think, to help people that go through something similar. My greatest desire and goal is through every circumstance and every trial and any brokenness that I may experience and that God heals me and walks me through that there's not a stench of smoke on me but that I'm just, I have the sweet smelling aroma of Jesus. I want people when they see me to see Jesus, not my brokenness. I love it when people, I start talking to people and then they hear parts of my story and they're surprised. It's my favorite. They're like, you, you, you've gone through that? I'm like, yeah. Like, I would never have guessed. Oh, guess. I'm like, yeah, because of Jesus. I'm a wounded healer. I'm called to be a wounded healer. You're called to be a wounded healer, but you have to be healed first. You can't hide anymore. Jesus is trying to call you out of your hiding this morning, church. We all have something. We do. Where do you hide? Do you hide in your home, behind your family? Do you hide behind work? Do you spend a lot of money and time and energy trying to hide something that Jesus just so desperately is working to get you to bring to him? Do you hide behind your personality? Have you ever known this? Some people hide behind being funny. Some people hide behind being quiet. We all find places to hide. And today, just like Jesus noticed the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus notices you. He's looking at you. You might come behind him and you might kind of slowly be like, okay, maybe I'll give it to Jesus. And Jesus is like, yep, <laughs> turns around. Right. Calls you son, calls you daughter, calls you beloved. Today's the day to come out of hiding because we're going to show the world. Whew. Man, I, I'm so happy we live in this day, in this era. Oh man, it's like challenge accepted. This world is broken, but Jesus is on the move. Come on. They'll say it, whatever they want to say about every generation, about the church, challenge accepted. We're going to show the love of Jesus. Like We're going to annoy you with our love. We're going to irritate you to no end with how good God is. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I want to give you an opportunity. I, I, I felt Jesus so strong in the 9 a.m. and I feel him just as strong now. If there's something that you haven't offered to Jesus. First service, I felt like the Holy Spirit had really called upon those that might have been abandoned by a father or mother. And you have felt the shame of that and also blamed or accused. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to heal those 
that, that have experienced that kind of loss and abandonment or rejection. But after first service, I also, one of our amazing security team came up to me and gave me another perspective. He said, yeah, and I wonder how some of those parents might feel if they were the ones who have abandoned. So I'm gonna pray for you too. God sees you. Maybe you feel like you've failed as a parent. Maybe you've rejected a child or abandoned them in, such, in some way. Maybe it's emotionally, not physically, but or maybe you've been abandoned or you felt rejected. I'm gonna pray for this group first. If that specifically targets you, I wanna pray with you today. Jesus is calling you out of hiding. You are the woman with the issue of blood. And He does not want you to go back into a prison of shame today. He wants to bring you out. If that's you, and maybe you'd say, man, I've, I've had a difficult relationship with a parent, or I've lived my life blaming them or feeling the shame of rejection, I wanna pray with you if that's you. And if you're a parent and you have felt like at some point inventor in your life as a parent, no parent's perfect, but maybe you felt like you felt the shame of a decision or not a decision, I wanna pray for you this morning. I feel like the Holy Spirit is here to heal hearts. If that's you, would you just, I'm the only one looking around. I just wanna pray with you. If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your faith and your courage. Jesus wants to heal. Come on, if you, if, if you can, just leave your hand up. Just surrender it to Jesus. Just surrender it. Bring it to Jesus. Get the picture of the woman with the issue of blood who just comes up behind Jesus. Jesus sees you right now. He sees you. I think there's people in this room that think that they've gotten for, that you've been forgotten by God or God doesn't see you, that He looks past you and He sees other people. And I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus sees you. He knows. He knows the brokenness. He knows the shame. He knows the pain. But He sees you. And right now, Holy Spirit, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by Your Spirit. I pray Your Spirit right now would come and heal the wounds. Heal it. Erase the memories. Get rid of the bad self-talk. Crush the enemy's lies. Cut off the devil's serpent voice. And right now, like the balm of Gilead, heal them with your anointing oil. Just heal them, heal them, heal them. Let him hear this, my beloved. No other names will they hear anymore, but they will hear this, that, that you are the son and you are his daughter. And you are his beloved in Jesus' name. I release right now healing into your wound. May God mend it. May he strengthen you. And may you be a wounded healer in a broken world. Right now, Jesus, heal any wounds. If there's any other wound, doesn't have to be from a parent or as a parent you've experienced, but you feel like you've carried some weight of shame or brokenness of something maybe you've done or maybe something that was done to you or maybe just something you have carried that you know that Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You are not called to carry. Would you just, in faith, lift your hand, come on. It's time to get free as a church and as a community. Come on, thank you for those hands. God, we release right now the weight of this that you did not ask us to carry. In fact, your word says, cast your cares on him because he cares. So we cast every burden, every weight, every care upon the feet of Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, that right now you are coming and you are doing an amazing surgical work. I see you just coming and healing and, and, and cleaning out. I don't know much about surgery, but I know that they have to clean the wound. They have to make sure it's clean. And I see Jesus cleaning it. He's cleaning you. He's making it all things new. It's not like a Band-Aid, but it's all brand new. Right now, Jesus, make us new, clean us, make us whole. Remind us who you've called us to be. Jesus, we love you with an everlasting love because you love us with an everlasting love. I pray right now, Spirit of Jesus, come and do what only you can do. 
and release in this congregation, I believe. Whew. He's talking to people. Young people, this is, this is a great opportunity where God likes to speak. So just don't rush out. Don't try to rush through the moment where Jesus is in the room. Something happens when he comes in the room. And I feel him in this place, Jesus. Hearts that are grieving today, Lord, heal. Hearts that are broken, heal. Minds that have been distorted by the lies of the serpent, heal right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, I pray for all of us, if I can be so bold. that you would take all the broken pieces of our lives. You would heal us, you would mend us, you would make us thrive and flourish. And Jesus, I pray Capital Church would be a lighthouse that would showcase your love, that would demonstrate your compassion, that would live like Jesus. Lord, I pray, Pastor Chris and Pastor Ken aren't in the room so I can do whatever I want and then they'll correct it. But I pray you would be like the hound this week. You would go after people who are still trying to hide. Go after them this week, Jesus. I, I know some of you are still hiding. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to offer to Jesus. I pray this week, Jesus, you do what you do. And let this church be known as a church that is healthy and whole because we bring all of our brokenness to Jesus. So Jesus, we honor you right now more than anything else. Don't let us hide. Let us be parades of your grace. Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.